welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. I'm a brand strategist at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Today on Obsessed with Design, I catch up with Paul Sayre in New York City as we talk about his practice, his choice to keep it solo, and strangely, not about his origins, and you'll find out soon why not. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Paul Sayre. All right, guys, welcome all the way from the office of Paul Sayre, a design consultancy based in New York City, none other than Paul Sayre himself. According to his website, their core interest is in the exploration of connectivity, engagement, and action. They respond to unique situations with unexpected design solutions for commerce and cultural institutions, focusing on self-initiated projects that have included authoring books, video, exhibitions, installations, and things they maybe haven't thought of yet. The studio foregoes specialization and instead focuses on a problem-solving approach that can take any form or function. So, Paul, I've got a lot on my list for you today, but first of all, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Hey, Josh. Hey, so our senior art director, Cody Thompson, was kind enough to make the intro, so thanks again for making this happen. Yeah, poster, poster man, Cody. He is indeed a poster man. I think he has more posters than he's willing to admit to. I got a really nice one hanging in my studio. I, I traded him for. It's that um, that rich uh, poster by uh, uh, Grappus uh, with the the butt and the. <laughs> <laughs> and, anyway, very nice gold foil. I'll have to ask him about the gold foil butt. Yeah. You may be familiar with this, and a lot of our longtime listeners will know. I always love to go into origin story, but I think so much of that is, is wrapped up in your book, which we're going to talk about later that I'm just going to leave that question out and let you, uh, tease as little or as much as you want, because we need people to go by that book too. Absolutely. Maybe three copies. (laughs) We'll get you up to at least four and a half. So tell us a little bit, maybe in lieu of that, about how your office is set up today. And I, I love that in places, I think it was maybe on the mobile view of your website that you um, shortened the office of Paul Sayre to oops. Um, but tell us a little bit about the office of Paul Sayre today and kind of how you guys are shaped and staffed and all of that. Well, no staff right now. I've gone back to working uh, alone. Um, but actually that's not true because I do have, I do work with freelancers and animators, but they're all, spread all over the world. <laughs> yeah. So more contractors than full-time employees. Yeah. Um, which has its own, it's kind of great in some ways and it's, and it's kind of terrible in other ways, but, uh, we just did a, a large, um, identity project and we, there were five or six of us. Um, and you know, it, we were spread all over the place. So it's all Google drive and, um, phone calls and email. <laughs> right. But, but, you know, it, it has allowed me to, to, um, sort of concentrate on, on doing a lot of, uh, a lot of work for this, uh, for they might be giants, which I've been working with for the last, maybe, I don't know, five years, the budgets aren't, the budgets aren't, uh, big, uh, but they're all incredibly interesting and, and there's almost, well, it's not almost, there's, there's too much to do for for uh, any one designer for sure or design studio so there's always opportunities to um, 
to um, to do things and doing a lot of uh, what I typically do. Um, a lot, you know, there are book covers in the studio and illustration work. And um, I was just attaching ping pong balls to a black jumpsuit. So you never know. <laughs> Excellent. You, you never know what the day is going to bring. So how long have you been um, sort of solo plus contractors and, and why have you found that size has worked for you? Well, I've always stayed small. That's that is if I'm not counting the early part of my career, which was, um, again, yeah, too painful to to go into here. Uh, <laughs> started my career in Baltimore and um, and just realized pretty quickly that um, I either didn't get along with people or I, I had to be by myself. But uh, I think it. So I've always remained small. You know, with the studio on Sixth Avenue that I had for up, upwards toward 15 years, we never got above four or five people. So staying small to for me has always allowed me greater leverage in the type of work that we take on and I do. So you know what I'm doing now is just kind of a sort of going back a bit to what I was doing right at the beginning after I got fired from my last full time job working by myself. Uh, I don't know if I actually answered the question. Well, I think obviously getting started and being small is interesting. And I've had our listeners reach out pretty consistently and say, man, I would love to know why so-and-so is a 20 person shop and -and so-and-so is 12. And another one is, you know, talking about how many hundreds of people work at their agency and just to hear what, what different leading thinkers in the design and creative space like why they why they would choose to shape and scale differently and maybe what your what your long term vision is for that well i you know i definitely stay small so i can do so i can do design work i mean i always felt i always feel like when it gets up to four or five people uh you're not you're if you're the uh if you're the head of the studio you're not doing any design you're art directing and you're going to meetings and answering email and de- dealing with all that. And frankly, none of that stuff is very interesting to me. So, um, I like making things. So it's, it's, it's been a, it, it's just been necessity, I guess, to stay small. I, I also think it's a type of projects too. I mean, th- th- those two things are hand in hand I, and personality. I mean, I'm a bit of a lone wolf probably. Um, I always got to get uncomfortable in, in, um, in crowds and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and again, I think probably some of my early work experiences at larger places, um, just, you know, just not very good experiences in terms of, um, what it can be in terms of being a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. I, I had such a great experience at, um, Kent State University in grad school and, it, you know, you're designing your own typefaces, you're taking your own photographs, you're in the dark room, you're on the stat camera manipulating things. You have total control over what you're doing. And it it's just, you know, you I, I had a really uh, incredible experience where I just felt like, well, this is how you do it. I mean, this this is a reason to get up in the morning, you know. <laughs> and so, I, you know, when I got out of school, I had loans and had to get a job. And thought that's what you did, frankly. But it, I quickly realized that, boy, I got to do something because this is not like grad school. You know, this is not what I signed up for. So I think it's a reaction to things as well. It's not just the type of work because there are people doing great work on real large scale. 
um, you know, I, I just I just have tended to to try to keep it um, keep the foot, footprint small, and uh, have always been more comfortable in that situation. And it's sort of affirmed for me over the years at different stages when I have. I like to say that it's like a it's like the seven year itch, you know. It's it's it doesn't have anything to do with sex, but it's like um, every seven years. I actually it's every three years. I found every three years. I, I feel like, oh my God, you know, like I gotta get, I gotta go work somewhere. I gotta get someone else to give me a paycheck that comes at a regular time, not kind of, you know, going down to your mailbox and waiting for this check that never comes. And, um, the buzzards are circling and <laughs> all the other stresses you have when you're working. <laughs> right. And then, you know, I always have these, I, you know, it goes to a certain point and I either, I'm not off of the job or I don't take it or, um, that check comes and then I'm okay for another three years. <laughs> um, <laughs> it yes, it does. It does. Yes. Yeah, the Vulcan pond far, but yeah, so I've always, I just, I, you know, again, I think there's probably other, other reasons, but I've always just, uh, and you know, as a, as a lone wolf, I think you, you, uh, I actually, I don't have the, of course, I don't have the uh, definition in front of me, but look up lone wolf, the definition on l l Wikipedia. And that's me. It's funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and, in the, and one thing that the, I, the definition definitely says, it basically says that lone wolves basically have to, you know, survive on roadkill because they, and small animals, because they can't take down big prey by themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. It all, it's all, it all is linked together somehow. So you are, I'm going to make up a number. We've had something like five or 10% of our interviews just coincidentally have Kent state connections. There must be a, a pretty, uh, some, some fruitful grounds there at Kent state for producing amazing design people. Yeah. The, the head of the program there was Jay Charles Walker for years. Um, he and his partner, John Buchanan ran the program, created the program, ran the program, um, I think I saw Mikey Burton's, um, name on, on the list of people you've interviewed. Mikey's from there. Although I think he came in mm -hmm. after John and Charles had already retired, but, um, it was, um, I talk a bit, I, a third of the book, my book coming up is about my experience in design school, but, uh, I owe everything to Charles Walker. There's no question as a graphic designer. Um, yeah, I, I think there are people who come out of um, school and then find a mentor. I found a mentor in school, and and my work experience, at, uh, my working experience, was not learning anything. It was trying to deflect whatever, um, you know, not great situation that I was in, and get back to, you know, the the idea of being a designer that I learned in design school. I'm curious what it's like. You know, I, I dated another designer once, but, <laughs> but I'm not married to one. So I'm curious what, what life is like being married to Emily. <laughs> oh, you're going to go there. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny. We, we're both graphic designers. I mean, I was married, I'm divorced. Um, I was divorced. I was married to a fashion designer. Uh, I think I, I have to be married to a graphic designer. I don't know. You know, I think mm -hmm. that, you know, that being a graphic designer is not, well, it's a job, but, but it's not, it's way more than a job. It's, you know, it's who you are. It's, um, it's wrapped up into everything that you do. I mean, when I watch a movie, I'm a graphic designer, you know, I, I'm, mm -hmm. 
when I'm walking down the street, I'm a graphic designer. When I'm eating dinner, I'm a graphic designer. I guess I'm having, I'm a graphic designer when I'm having sex, but I never really thought about it that way. But it all, <laughs> but now, but now I have, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's how you look at the world. So it just makes sense that, you know, the, my life partner is somebody who gets it, you know? Uh, so safe to say that design is, is an important part of your, your personal life as well as when you're working on projects. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I guess I don't separate them, you know? And so, yeah, I, in that way, yeah, it makes sense to me in that way. Um, you know, we don't, and we don't, we have made a purposeful, we've made purposeful decision to not work together and kind of keep our sort of our, our professional lives kind of separate. So I'm not going to be joining Pentagram. <laughs> I, I haven't been asked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, we do show each other things. I mean, it was funny recently, and it's funny when when projects sort of overlap. Emily was uh, has been doing a lot of work for Warner Brothers recently, and she she's uh, she was redesigned. She redesigned the DC Comics logo, mm -hmm. and uh, like I'm the comic book geek of the two of us, and she's doing the DC logo. But I'm a Marvel guy, so I guess it was just as well. But I, I just thought that was really funny. So I was her. She would show me stuff, and I'm like that's it. I mean, I just like through the, yeah, I just exactly. like, that's the logo. Um, as what ended up being the logo it, that logo was the DC logo was just terrible. Um, the last one. Yeah. And it, it didn't last all that long either. So it's kind of like they knew right away, like mm, we screwed up guys. Yeah. And, and it, and it's, it's been funny seeing her uh, being identified through that, you know, cause our households now split. Because I think I got I, my guys are definitely Jack Kirby Marvel guys. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so mom is always bringing home the DC comics and and they're kind of sniffing, sniffing them a little bit and then like moving on. Uh, it's funny. <laughs> and then um, not to get too far into uh, Emily's career, but um, she worked on Ready Player One. Too, she did. Right? Yeah, they did the identity for that. Yeah, that was yeah, really yeah. cool. I read that book a few years back and seeing that I was like, oh man, nailed it. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, she's, she was ran her own studio, which is still small, but it was bigger than how I operate. And now she's got a large team over there and as part of Pentagram. So we are, we are definitely, um, you know, opposites in terms of how we're going about being graphic designers, but, but it works. Yeah. Well, maybe you could, um, give us a little bit more detail then on, kind of what a typical, even if there is such a thing, a day, week, month looks like for you and how much of your time is like in meetings or talking to clients or how much of it is like nose to the grindstone, cranking out actual design. I would say most of it is that, I mean, I have kind of, as I said, I've sort of aimed myself at, you know, the thing that I love to do, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, I would say, again, it depends upon the projects, but you know, when I'm doing book covers, it's, you're not really having that much contact. It's, it's quite a, it's quite a bit of it's over email even. Um, and there's really not that much client contact. So a normal day would be sitting down and, 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 uh, wading through, uh, the mess on my desk and figuring out what, what needs to be done. I'm a big list maker, but it, it, um, 
there's way more things on this list list than can ever be humanly done in a day, I think is my main problem. <laughs> I've got, I've got, is that overly optimistic or is that uh, self-punishing or what, what do you think is driving that? Maybe there's just, I don't actually think the lists are doing what they're supposed to be doing for me because they actually make me less organized. I feel like there's just too much on there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I always feel like, you know, one of the, one of the things about it is it's just like, there's, there's not an, there are never out, enough hours in the day to, there's always more that you want to do than you have time to do. And it doesn't matter how many clients you have. Yeah. No, that's the truth. It's limitless. I mean, I mean, again, I'm, and I was just referring to they might be giants in terms, I mean, you know, a couple, maybe about a year ago. Oh, I guess it was two years ago. You know, I just was like, okay, look, I want to do a video. You contact them. Let's do a video. Give me a song off the album. I'm going to do a video for you. You know, it's, it's like you could do, <laughs> you could do, and they're so prolific that if, I mean, and that's just, that's a client, you know? So, all any any mm -hmm. number of self-initiated things and and uh, drawing on surfboards or whatever. There's just never never enough time. Uh, I'm a I'm a father now. I've got a couple of eight year olds, so that's also a something that has definitely impacted you know the day to day, like how much time that I you know am working. Because before kids, this is getting back to Emily, our schedules were so in sync because we'd have dinner at like. 11 o'clock at night, or maybe we duck out, mm -hmm. have dinner and then go back to work. And then I'd see her, you know, bump into her at like one o'clock in the morning. And then in the morning when we were leaving, you know, um, or maybe there was an all nighter involved. It was just, it, it, you just were able to let it just loose. And I can't do, I don't do that now. Um, it's much more of a nine to five situation. So I can be around when my boys still want to be around me, I guess. <laughs> which is the best. Yeah. I heard that's coming. Uh, I'm having a hard time imagining it, but right. yeah, I heard it's coming. What would you say your mix is right now between client driven and self-initiated projects? Well, I guess if you count the book, uh, it's probably, it's probably 50, 50 right now. Um, mm -hmm. in fact, I went through a period, um, this past year where, you know, I was mostly a writer and doing projects in between, you know? Um, and right now there's so much, and again, I, I know this isn't quite how you're asking it, but there's so much involved in, um, you know, getting a, getting the book out into the world and, and promoting it. And you know, what the, the, <laughs> the world tour, the two dimensional man tour, there's just a lot of moving parts. And so I'm spending a good deal of my day. We're doing a, there's a big exhibition of my work at Kent State University opening later this month. So um, that was why I was gluing ping pong balls on a black jumpsuit. <laughs> Naturally. Yes. So there's a lot of that um, happening right now. Um, so it's it's um, it depends on what's going on in the studio. I, I had a my office on Sixth Avenue, too, was a part silkscreen lab. So I was doing a lot of um uh, silk screen work as well that never involved the client. And if it did, it was a, you know, a theater, a pro bono client. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I've since broken that down. So I'm actually not silk screen capable right now. Um, 
And it was just sort of a life um, change again, because I'm not there until 11 o'clock at night or later. Silkscreen was sort of the first thing to go. So I would definitely say that, that, that the amount of work, it typically would probably be almost 90, probably 90% client driven and 10% mm-hmm. either not client driven or, or um, as I said, drawing on surfboards or whatever it happened to be. Well, client wise, I mean, you've got this list of people I'm sure have nobody, nobody's ever heard of these clients like the New York times or this American life, or they might be giants of course, or even, even <laughs> Marvel comics has made your list. So I'm curious, um, how you define what makes a good client for you and, and where you find them. Ooh, good client. I get work, uh, in very, I guess has to do with it. it. It's probably true for anyone, but it's, it's very random. Like I don't, I don't, I don't go out looking for work. Um, and I don't, I don't mean to say that in a, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's good and bad about people coming to you. You, the good is that people are tending to come to you for a reason that is, is, is different than, you know, I knew somebody who knew somebody or, you know, you played golf or, um, mm-hmm. you know, you've been sending them capabilities brochures, you know, or whatever it happens to be, you know, that there's, there's some, there's some sort of resistance and, or, um, kind of, uh, orientation that goes on before you starting having discussion with somebody about doing something. And a lot of that's just word of mouth and someone recommending you, but it's also someone seeing your work as well. Um, and, and of course I'm thinking when you're talking about clients, I'm thinking less about creative directors at magazines or, you know, book cover, uh, creative directors who might be calling you because they're already designers. So they already sort of get it, you know, in a way that, um, you know, a theater company or, you know, um, I mentioned the Samuel French earlier, but we just, that was the identity I was referring to that we, we just did a refresh of their identity and, um, and that came from, um, again, it was just sort of by accident and having some uh, connection to the theater over the years, um, me. But um, so in terms of a, a, a good client, I think it's a, a client that's open. I think it's a client that wants to do uh, something interesting and a client that's going to back you up in the end. Um, a lot of times it's difficult. I know there are designers who are like, well, you know, I only work with a decision maker at the company, you know, whatever that happens to be. And um, that doesn't always happen. You know, um, a lot of times you have to manage that process. And I think it, there are times when that can be a problem. But I think sometimes working with somebody at the top is is um, has its own problems. So um, I, th- I think it's like somebody has to have your back in the end. Sure. And I think that I, you know, cause it does, it does get to a point where it's like, you know, listen, you have to go and stand up for this thing. Like somebody else is having to do it. It's not me. I, I, I this is related, but probably it's not. Whenever an author calls me directly to design a book cover, I always have to have this conversation with them. And it's, it's typically, I get a, I get a cover, uh, commission from a publisher mm-hmm. who of course is publishing you know, is putting, is, is investing in this book and has a vested interest in a cover helping to sell the book, I guess. 
even though I would say that's not that interesting to me. It's certainly something that's usually interesting to them. The author um, can either have control over approving the cover or not, but they're usually not involved and they don't let the, they really <laughs> don't let the designer and the author um, get together very often. And I used to think that was strange mm -hmm. until I started working directly for authors. And I've had many, many experiences where one, the publisher feels if the author is reaching out to do a cover, the publisher feels threatened and or not happy because again they are investing in this thing and the cover is one of the main obvious kind of marketing tools for the book and they want it to sell so not having control of the process is, is just usually not acceptable for most publishers but then too at a certain point i'm going to be with that author and we're going to be talking about the stuff and i'm going to be showing them things we're going to be coming to certain conclusions and then we're going to figure on a cover and then then there's a point where they have to go in there and go I know you don't want this, but I want it. This is the cover. And so many times the author, mm -hmm. under the pressure of what the whatever the publisher's telling them, bails and I'm left holding the bag, you know. And it ha it's happened so many times. Mm. Um, and then, so I had this conversation at the beginning, like, this is probably not a good idea, you know, trying to talk them out of it. Because, <laughs> um, you know, the art director also, everybody gets territorial. People are, you know, it's just like... Uh, yeah. It's just not, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's not going to do anything good, you know, and the, and, 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 and the, and the, and the actual process of doing it is going to be unpleasant, you know? Right. So when it comes to, um, you know, being your own client in this case for two dimensional man, was it strange at all? Kind of being on the other side of the, of the table, uh, or I guess being both sides of the table for that matter, being both the author and the designer and how how do you look at that project differently having done so many books already in your career yeah i mean there is i definitely want to get to it but i've i've authored or co-authored a few other books before this so i've sort of knew what i was getting into to some degree um the last one was called leisure rama now it was about a beach house that macy's sold in the 60s and i've sort of kind of edged myself up to you know, taking on a, re a real, an actual writing challenge, which the memoir, the memoir is. But so here was the weird thing. And I knew this was coming, but the, but especially gets weird because it's a book about me that I wrote that I'm now designing a cover for. Um, even though, like I had said, I've run into this already at various times this was especially, um, oh, it was just a mind. Fuck. It's the only way I can describe it. Um, it, it, it I, I, I drove some people crazy. John Gall, who was the, my, one of my, my main editor at, um, at Abrams could talk better about it, but I, I know he was driving them crazy with it all the way up into the last second. And he literally had to force me to do the, the cover that we ended up with. I almost chickened out mm -hmm. because it's not a, you know, it's not a conventional cover. Uh, and, you know, again, these things kind of come home to roost. Uh, in the book, I complain about blurbs on, on covers. Now, I was never going to put a blurb on, the, on my cover. But when it really came down to like, there's no blurbs anywhere. There's no praise on it. Mm -hmm. 
I really was having second thoughts about that as, 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 you know, so <laughs> these things, kind of these complaints you make over these complaints you have over the years about the publisher and sales and all this other stuff that, you know, you're not interested in the designer as a designer about, I don't care about selling a book when I'm designing it. I'm care about it being a door to an experience, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it, there's such a beautiful, beautiful, interesting challenge about creating a visual that's what someone sees every time before they have this other experience, you know, and it has to relate to it somehow, inform it, but not give too much away. It's, it's, I, I, I've always found book covers to be incredibly interesting. Uh, it's, it's a really pure design challenge. Um, but the marketing about it always is terrible because it's always like all the different things you could actually do with a book cover if it wasn't for these inane rules about what this type of books looks like and this type and what someone's going to react to. And mm-hmm. we've got to make sure that there's eyes on it because, you know, I mean, whatever the stuff is, you know, you don't design a magazine cover without putting a human face on it that's looking at you if you want to sell magazines, that is. Right. So, you know, it's 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 these kind of things that just dri- drive you know, a graphic designer crazy because these aren't the things we're really interested in. I mean, you know, once the book is sold, then it's sitting for the rest of its existence, you know, in a different context. Like it doesn't have to deal with all the things that are going into the marketing of the book. Mm-hmm. It's an object, you know. So um, it's, you know, when I was doing, when I had the task of doing my own book, it's like you, you really do. Should the type be more legible? <laughs> you know, like it's, it's uh, you know, the, it's so, yeah, it, it's, it's sort of payback. Who made this type so small? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can I make the title a little bigger? Um, so it's a little payback. The other thing I will say that was really sort of the, and that wasn't, so the cover was the cover, whatever. But I think the other thing about it, was that the interior of the book? I don't know. You probably haven't seen the book because it's not out yet. But the interior, yeah, just a few screenshots, really. Okay, the interior of the book is just a book. I mean, it's it's a book that's 320 pages, mostly of words. It is a memoir. It's not a monograph. Um, and I didn't want. I wasn't interested in doing a monograph. I wanted to do. I, I had a, an idea for a book that I didn't really wasn't calling it a memoir at the beginning. But I wanted to talk about my first car, and I wanted to talk about my brother and and or my two brothers and growing up in in a fucked up suburb in upstate New York and things that actually have something to do with what you end up doing with your life, you know not just other designers work you've seen or look at this thing that I've designed, you know? So it took a while to make that happen. But so the inside, you know, I could have done anything with the design of it. So what do I do? I end up making it look like a memoir, <laughs> you know, it's, it's on off white paper. It's the serif typeface. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's a, you know, it's a flush left rag, right. One column with large margins. And little figures or images every once in a while. And so that was the thing that really every five seconds, I was just like, I got to do something else with this. It can't just be this, you know. Mm-hmm. But of course, any book, a trade, you know, um, a trade paperback is designed. You know, we even designers forget that. You know, there are interior design people, interior designers who are doing these things. And you don't know who they are, but they have a sensibility for a grid and size and, and, um, you know, the function of reading. And there are certain rules that have panned out in terms of 
how a book functions in terms of it, it being able to be read. So while I do play around with the text a little bit in the book, I think that was really the crazy thing for me was that I was doing this very conventional thing. And if somebody else had, had probably contacted me to do the book, I don't know if I would have been so, uh, I could have been talked into doing so something so conventional. Although I will say I did that for the Malcolm Gladwell collected thing that the book, book, three books that um, I worked on a number of years ago. So maybe that's not true. I don't know. But it, but the, but the, I will tell you that those two things were very difficult. Um, the writing was difficult because I'm not always doing it, especially in this way. But, um, yeah, it was it was it was tricky and interesting to have to be put in a situation where you're having to to um, to confront some of these things that you're typically kind of whining about as a designer. Well, I know you mentioned the blurbs may not appear anywhere on the cover, but um, they are on your website. And I read through some of those. And uh, I got to say that did uh, did whet my appetite to to make sure and order a copy that uh, it, you know, I forget who said this specifically, but the comment about it being a true page turner for a designer's book is is like not a real common thing. Like it's typically, a, you know, a print dog and pony show of here's my collection of all the things that I've done and Sounds like yours is a pretty cool story. Yeah, I mean, and that I mean, I think that the the um, it's it's how somebody somebody becomes a graphic designer. Like, I think graphic design is sort of not understood in general by people who aren't designers. Mm-hmm. So the idea that somebody would get obsessed with this thing and commit their life to it happily. Um, I think there's something interesting there. I always felt like there was something interesting there, whether it was my particular story. I think it's, it's, it's specific to me, but I think it's universal in that way. So thinking about one's life as it relates to this, you know, I definitely didn't, you know, we were talking about origin story. I, it was just a meandering mess. I think that just ended up, it's something I didn't really have control over. I just found myself in dis- different cer- cer- situations that ended up leading me to what I should be doing with my life. Um, and I didn't really have that much control over it. That's hard for a control freak like a designer to admit. But I think, you know, um, life has a way of, of just <laughs> doing whatever it's going to do. And um, I know I, for one, have had a lot of trouble after I left design school, trying to reconcile the the idea that life is a mess. And yeah, you, you, you've been taught this new way to look at everything, you know, like order, you know, I put the, the book is sort of based on to the, the, the basic definition of design that I was given in design school, that design is, you know, lack of design is chaos. Design is order. And that's where everything that we've learned and done comes from, basically. It's the origin point. And life is anything but ordered. And I've wasted a lot of energy um, trying to apply some of the some of the the ways you think to 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 your personal life and, and failing miserably. So um, I, I think it's uh, hopefully it touches on some of that. Well, well, we'll see how this works as a segue. But perhaps when you talk about, you know, life and order. Tell me about how this Saturn five relaunch project came to be and, and what your, your Kickstarter experience was. <laughs> oh, what a quagmire. It shouldn't have been. <laughs> it was just a rocket. Launch. It was just a model rocket launch. 
In fact, it was somebody who left one of the, you know, one of the people, one of the people who, once something goes out in the world, doesn't matter if it's personal or whatever, people are going to have opinions about it. But someone wrote, like, why, why do you need twenty, seven, fourteen thousand dollars to launch a model rocket? You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> we're doing a book, man. Costs money anyway. So yeah, this is. I was in um, getting back to the self-initiated thing. Often, I find myself sort of mining mining my own past without really even thinking why I'm doing it. But my father passed away. My father was an aerospace engineer and he passed away in, uh, I want to say 2009, maybe 2009. Um, anyway, so I was, I'm the family cleaner. Um, <laughs> I have to go, you know, my brother dies. I had to take care of all of his shit. You know, my dad, when he passed away, I was up in the attic having to try to figure out where to put things and get rid of what and keep what. And up in the attic, I found this launch pad that he had built um, in the early 70s that he used once, as far as I know, um, as far as I remember. And it was he uh, he worked on flight simulators in Binghamton, New York. He was he was he so he wasn't he never he didn't work on the Apollo program. Yeah, that's interesting. But I think like any aerospace engineer sort of at that time with all that going on, like that would have been the coolest job you could have been a part of, you know? Oh yeah. So he, he ended up, I think it was also like he wanted to make us have a stronger connection to it. So he, he built a, um, he started building a, um, a century, um, kit, uh, model rocket kit. It thing was like four feet tall. It had hundreds of parts and he, he was a very fastidious man anyway, so he, it took him forever to make this thing. So, you know, I'm watching him the whole time, sanding and gluing and painting and masking it off, you know. And, you know, I think he probably, he was the type of guy where I think he probably would have re been happy that thing sitting in his den for the rest of its existence. <laughs> right. But he had the balls to actually go and, and launch the thing. Because, you know, when you launch a model rocket, they're designed to be recovered. They have parachutes. <laughs> right. But everything has to go right. And you put explosive in the tail of these things. You know, it needed, <laughs> it needed a car battery to, to launch the thing. So he invited he made a big deal out of it. There were a lot of photos. He invited the family out. He invited my my mom's parents up from New Jersey for the launch. And we went out and, and behind his work and launched it. And the thing um, went up 500 feet or whatever. And then the then there was a problem. <laughs> and uh i just remember him it was a sunny day end of the day and i just remember him him saying you know oh no and and the shoots didn't deploy so it just came mm -hmm. hurtling back to earth nose first and it was an accordion man this thing was destroyed wow. <laughs> you know eight months worth of hard labor and now it's gone it's funny there, there are a bunch of photographs of the pre and the launch but there's zero photographs of the wreckage um, I don't, I don't remember him crying, but I don't, we didn't leave joyfully. I can remember that. I remember that <laughs> anyway. So it was the 40th anniversary of that. I thought, well, why not you reuse it? Plus the fact my I had boys then that just barely got to meet him before he passed away. So there, the, he, he was such a cool guy. He's not in their life. Maybe doing this thing, maybe share some of him with them in a way, you know, it's like mm -hmm. a huge that I have that my boys don't know my dad because he was just awesome. He was a great guy. Um, so anyway, this is a way of doing that. And uh, I just also like the the whole idea of the space time continuum and and like seeing if 
you know, it's like, you know, we talk about how somebody becomes a graphic design. You never know if a graphic designer, you never know if, if uh, this, la- this launch in 1973 actually came off. I might be a doctor, a lawyer or something, mm, you know, that's interesting. could have had a whole different future. You know, coincidentally, I had a, a large model rocket failure as well that uh, the the shoot did deploy, but it was so windy that we, we just sailed off and we oh, never found goodbye. it. It was yeah, also one happened. of those like three or foot tall, you know, just ridiculously huge and and just kept on going. Yes. Yes, that happens. Thus ending my career in physics. Yes. Uh, we never. Yeah, he never launched it. I don't think he ever launched another one. It, it was I don't My brother, my older brother still does it which is funny, but I never did. I never got mm. into it. Um, and my dad, like I said, I think I just, my memory of it was my dad just stopped cold Turkey. He probably didn't, but that's my memory of it. it was so the event was so scarring. <laughs> so, <laughs> so going, uh, to a little bit more recent past, you started your, your company in 97. Is that right? Yes. So yep. we're what, 20 years in now. What, what do you think are, some of your biggest learnings in the past 20 years? Hmm. Well, I definitely feel like when I started working for myself in 97, I had, as I said, I had to get fired from my last miserable job. And I really think that you got it. Now this is going to come off as advice. I don't mean it that way. I've taught for many years. I've stopped recently. So no more advice from me. Um, but I think for me, I had to find the way I needed to be working, whatever that happened to me and what I needed to be working on. Um, and, uh, I know for myself, I need things to, I don't like it when it gets repetitive. Having done, you know, hundreds of book covers, you'd think, well, that would get repetitive, but it really sort of doesn't. Um, but there are things that get really repetitive and when you're having these same conversations about the same thing over and over, and I think that's the thing about getting older, you start noticing patterns and it bugs you. Let me tell you, (laughs) you hear old people complaining about shit. It's because they're noticing a pattern and you don't (laughs) notice it yet. That's where it goes. That's all it is. You see people doing the same stupid shit that you were doing years ago. But, but so I think. And that might, and that, and again, I, I'm not, again, I'm trying to word this so it's not advice. I think that it's like, for me, you know, you put yourself in harm's way a lot, I think, to, for it, for, for you to do it the way you feel like you need to do it. You know, and by, in harm's way, I mean, like, not making what you could make financially, you know, mm-hmm. or not working with this person again, if that's what it comes to, but you have to say no, or let's do it this way. One thing I've also learned over the years, I've learned to do that in a better way than I used to, because there's a story in the book that is um, me saying no, and it just ended very badly. (laughs) It involves Steely Dan. (laughs) Um, And uh, actually, Walter just passed away the other day. Um, so it's sort of sad to hear that, um, no hard feelings on my part at all, but it did not end well. Anyway, the story's in the book, but I, I've gotten a lot better about saying no, but there's all kinds of ways as a graphic designer, you can put yourself in a position where you're just a tool. You're just being pushed around, right? You can't do it. You can't have, I can't. And so 
I think that is the biggest thing. At the beginning of my career, I was always looking around for a job working for somebody who was doing great work or work that I thought was interesting to see how they were getting away with it. You know, <laughs> how are they getting away with it? Do they just really know how to sell something or explain it or present it in a way that someone's going to say yes automatically? Or do they go in there and, and how do they do that? You know, somebody a bully? Do they push people around? Like, how do you do it? And I could never find out. I could never find out. I still don't know. So how do you do it? I think I do it because I'm just really, I, I'm just so skittish. Like, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's just like when I'm working with somebody, it's like, uh, you know, I don't like the way this is going. I'm going to, I'm going to step aside. You hire someone else. No, no, wait, 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 no, don't do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm just very, I can totally identify way off when some, something's going to be a problem, you know, someone's not listening to me. Like it's a pattern recognition thing. Pattern recognition. I just, I see it and I'm like, not shy about going, you know what? I really get a bad feeling about this. And I think like, I don't, I don't have the energy to explain to you how this should work. <laughs> Just work with somebody else, you know, because there are people who are really great at being able to explain to somebody who doesn't, a client, let's say, who it, that hasn't worked with you before, you know, how it's going to work, how it needs to work. You know, I had a, I had a, I had a thing with an art director recently. Now this is an art director. It's not a client necessarily, but functions it's as such, I guess. But, you know, I had a lot of stuff going on, whatever. I have my schedule. He's got his schedule. He's got to art direct this magazine. He needs his piece of art, man. He needs it. He needs it at a certain time and a certain, and it was just like, yeah, we'll get it done. I knew what the deadline was, but I wasn't giving him what he needed during the process. And like, it wasn't because I didn't want to. It's just that it was just, you know, the phone kept, you know, the emails kept pouring in. It was like, here's a, here's a little fire that you weren't, you know, prepared to deal with today. Here's another one. Here's another one. Well, I didn't think I was going to be doing this today, you know, and then I thought it was going to be doing this illustration. So these things happen, you know, and, and so nobody's just working on your thing. But I think this, this art director is just kind of like, this is my only thing that I have to care about. And this is what it's got to be. And I have to have it now. It's like, relax. It'll be awesome. It, I just can't get you this thing right at this moment. And he was like, you know, and now I had pushed it so far that we really had like a day. And he's like, and I'm like, all right, everything's cleared up. Let's do it. And he's like, you've wasted my time. I can't believe you just did that. You did this. I'm like, listen, man, you're wasting our time right now. Do you want to get this done? Or do you want to stand there yelling at me? You know, like we, th I need this time now because I've, for, you know, and it was great. It ended up great. There were three pieces. I had to tell him, listen, man, I've been doing this for 20 years. I do these things in 15 minutes. Let's just get it done. <laughs> Let's not waste our time doing this. It's going to yeah. be great. Chill out. Um, and you know, when you're not working with somebody who doesn't know you and knows that you're not a person who's just going to be like, I'm just going to leave you holding the bag. That's how I operate. No, agree to do something. I'm going to do mm -hmm. it. Now it may not be quite on your schedule, <laughs> but I'm doing my best. Um, but it's going to be good. <laughs> you know, I don't. And so, yeah, I mean, I, there's all kinds of other ones I would say, but I do think you have to you have to be in love with what you're doing on a daily basis. And if you're not, you got to find out what you need to do. Oh, this is advice again. What you really need to do to, to, to feel that way. And I think that's different for everybody. Well, we welcome advice on this show. So that's, uh, <laughs> I think that's another nice piece. Well, you know, I, and I like teaching. So 
and I and I, I I remember this as sort of an epiphany when I really kind of thought about it. But you know, part of your thing. So I was teaching for years at SVA um, at senior pro. Uh, well, it's a portfolio class, but I taught it like a thesis project class, right? So the students, we, we put the students through like a series of exercises to get them to figure out what it is that they're self-initiate the thing. Like they've got the parameters of this project mm-hmm. that they're then going to make. And, you know, that's a messy, hard process. It's really hard. And like you're lost half the time, you know, you're like, and they're miserable, you know, because there's a lot riding on it, which there should be, you know, but this is the whole thing, what design is. It's a process of knowing at the end and you don't know at the beginning. So I always use the example. It's like, all right, if you knew what this thing was going to be right from the beginning, we got the brief and you, you picture, you close your eyes as we all do. And so say, oh, this is so cool. It's going to be this. And you just picture, picture the thing fully formed. And then you just made that thing. That's not what design is. Design is you have no clue. And that if you have no clue, cheers. That's exactly what you want to be. You want to not know. Now, of course, an hour before the things do is not when you want to not know. But at the the (laughs) beginning, maybe at the beginning or the middle, that's okay though. Yeah, like no, no, no. Cheers, because if you knew, why even bother making it? You know, why make that thing? You already knew what it is. But we all do it. It's incredible. I do it all the time, and it's because you, you know, it would relieve stress be easier. Um, but I think that's one of the things that I constantly have to tell myself is that being lost is actually good, um, to a point. Maybe tell us about one of your proudest moments as a designer. Well, I, for me, you know, people, people, another way that, that, that's a different question, but you know, um, like what's your dream project? You know what I mean? Is another, it's mm-hmm. sort of similar to that. I think I'm always have a hard time answering those types of questions because I feel like everything I do is just smaller, little incremental things. There's not something like, you know, after got some Borgland finished Mount Rushmore or did he, I think he was the sculptor. Okay. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. I'm sure he felt like, wait, maybe it wasn't alive when it was actually done, actually. So maybe that's not a good example. <laughs> but if you did something like that and then you were done, you'd be like, wow, you know, there's a band there, you know, <laughs> there's stuff going on. I think I think you'd feel that. But I mean, you know, book covers are, hey, it's another really awesome book cover. You know, like I'm really happy with this thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would probably answer that more like, um, and, and again, it relates back to the book in that, like in there, I kind of described my first printed piece and it was just something I don't have anymore. But I remember when I got that thing, I was just, I slept next to it. Like it, it, I, I looked at that thing fell apart. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, the idea that there were thousands of these things out in the world somewhere was just the coolest thing. I also have had the experience of like, you know, these theater posters, I was doing, I did a series of theater, worked for the theater pro bono in Baltimore for um, a number of years when I was there doing these posters and they were all over town. And I just remember that was just the, felt like the crowning achievement of my career up to that point that, you know, these posters were all over the place and people were stealing them, you know, these aren't big (laughs) things. They're just little like things that are cool to you. You know, 
Um, I think graphic designers tend not to have these big moments. You know, we have a lot of little moments. Yeah. And I think that's fine. I wouldn't know what to do um, at that Mount Rushmore unveiling. I would feel really uncomfortable. All those people and <laughs> cameras. That's not right for the lone wolf. No, no. I was just like, oh, this is, I'd rather not you know, just drink heavily and then go. <laughs> Without saying goodbye. Yeah, exactly. You know, we sit in, we sit in a room with the shades drawn in front of a computer all day, you know, I mean, alone. <laughs> if you're lucky. Oh, I will also say, oh God, looking at these new agencies where all these, you go in and they're like, here's our workspace. And it's like 30 computer monitors right next to each other at an enormous table. Oh my God, just kill me now. <laughs> I mean, ugh, horrible. Sorry, if that's you, get out of there. So maybe on the opposite sign, maybe something that doesn't make your skin crawl, but uh, what, what would you say is the thing that you find that you are most obsessed with right now? Ooh, God, but see, this, this is not design related. Oh, that's totally fine. Um, a 1973 Carmen Ghia. Ooh. So this is one that's uh, in your possession? Oh, yes. Very nice. I've wanted one of these cars for a long time. So Emily and I bought it and I'm just like down there figuring out like what this little bumper was for this little stopper inside the thing, you know, and like, <laughs> and, and it, it's a, the whole air cooled engine thing. It's very, you can work on cars if they're from 1973. Mm -hmm. You so, don't need a computer to tell you that the oil's low. No, no. Um, and so I'm very obsessed with it right now. Very obsessed with it. It's fun. I took it to a, uh, a stereotypical guy thing to be obsessed with, but I'm obsessed with an old car. Um, I'm sure I'm obsessed with other things, but that's the one that sticks out right now. I've got a very obsessive personality. I think most of most designers do when you, when you peel it away. Well, hey, that's, that's the name of the show, right? Yep. You got to leverage it though. I'm seeing some of that stuff in my son, one of my sons right now. And it's sort of a little disturbing because you see these things, you know, it's almost a little obsessive things coming out once in a while. So I feel like my, my job as dad is to make him figure out how he uses his power. <laughs> like a mutant, you know, and right. you've got, you can't blow it on drinking all the time or drugs or you gotta, you gotta, you gotta use it. You gotta control it. With great power comes great responsibility. Yes, exactly. As long as we're going Marvel. Yeah. Well, maybe I know we talked a lot about, uh, the book, tell people about, uh, your upcoming tour and, uh, where they can find the book and how to order it and, and how to, how to connect with you on the interwebs. Well, I got, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. I'm keeping it to that. Um, I'm uh, terrified of Facebook and the books all is going to be all over the place. Um, and I will be, I've got, uh, if yeah, in terms of, um, uh, we're going to be in Calgary, Emily and I actually going to be in Calgary next week, then, then Baltimore, then Kent state for the exhibition, then back to New York and then a number of other places. Um, but, uh, I'll have, I have a list on my website, so check that out. It's hard to get to, 
That's actually not that hard to get to. There's a there's a there's a link button on the on the homepage um, to go to the events. But I hope to see you all there somewhere along the line. I haven't really been out and about doing such things lately, um, so it's it's sort of nice to to have a reason to get back out there and um, get out out of the studio. Um, I, I, you know, there, there was, there's a point, there was a point in my career where I did a lot of traveling and a lot of lecturing and, um, it sort of becomes a, um, little bit of a lifestyle there where you can sort of travel all over these places and go mm-hmm. to places you've never been and talk to people and share your work. And it's really cool. It's, um, but then at a certain point you're like, you know what, I don't know, like, it, <laughs> I have kids, you know, you can't, you can't have that lifestyle forever. At least I couldn't. Yeah, definitely. So I have to be much more careful about what I say yes to in terms of not being here. Anyway, so that said, um, I'm really looking forward to the fall. It's going to be interesting. Well, we will do our listeners a favor. We will find that button on your homepage and we will link to that in our show notes as long as well as, uh, links to where to buy the book and, perhaps your, uh, your Twitter and Instagram handles as well. And, uh, and your website, which I think is, uh, is worth a look, especially if you are considering book jacket design in your future, there's some, some really great stuff on there. Thanks, Josh. Well, Paul, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to chat and thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, guys, that's episode number 80 in the books. For all of today's show notes, head over to obsessedshow.com. While you're at it, why not go to iTunes and hit the subscribe button to give us a rating and review to help other people find the show. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Our show is always edited by Jen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company. Visit BrassyBroad.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.